Good morning. There, I muted myself. Is that always fun? So I got to spend the last couple days, well, Friday evening and Saturday, with some other men at man camp. Can anyone do a Tim the Toolman Taylor-like noise? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, okay, all right. Why is a guy not doing that? Come on, guys. No. <laughs> So this is some members of our worship team. We were uh, up there, and they were leading worship over the weekend. And we got to do a lot of fun stuff. There were people that went on zip lines that were afraid of heights and were saying, I've got it on video, so they know who they are. I'll show it in church sometime. But they were begging us to take, get them down, but instead we just pushed them off the ledge, you know. Um, but we had a lot of fun. It was a good time. Um, the speaker there was talking about finishing well. So if you have not been to man camp, you should go to man camp next year because man camp is a lot of fun. You do men things. They say, what, what they, how do they word it? They said, uh, it's, it's fire, bacon, steak, and Jesus. Like that's like what's there, which is really true. They had bacon every meal. And I'm just like, what, what do you do with bacon and chicken sandwiches? I don't know. It was just weird. Maybe you just put it on the chicken sandwich. I have to admit, though, I ate a full plate of bacon, and then one of the other guys told me that his dad died of a heart attack three days after eating a full plate of bacon. So if I die on Monday, then that's why. Sorry. But no, it's really exciting. We had a great time. Um, another thing that I want to I highlight really quick. So Miracle Camp, if you don't know where Miracle Camp is, it's up in uh, Lawton, Michigan is the area up there. It's about an hour and 25 minutes from here. And they're doing a retreat in May, May 14th through 16th. They're just calling it the Work and Worship Retreat. It's for families to go up there, spend time um, uh, both in nature. They're going to have some sessions, but they have some work projects to do. So since they have work projects, they're only having people pay $25 for an adult, which if you've been up there, it's on a lake. There's lots of things to do, and there's going to be events and things to do at night. So I would encourage you, after service, come see me. There's a little flyer here with more information. Um, it's kind of exciting. It's $10 for kids. I mean, let's be honest. If you stay at home, you're spending more on food over the weekend. Okay? So you can go to a camp, spend time in the outdoors with your family. It's really exciting. If you're not, if you just want to go up there, you're a single person, just, hey, let's go up. That's a great idea as well because you're going to have a lot, uh, a lot of fun and a good time. So as we, as we get into the sermon today, though, I'm going to pray. We're starting a new series called Four. Um, I had someone ask me this week if that was a golf metaphor. It's not. There's nothing to do with golf in this series. I don't golf, but if you do golf, please don't yell four in the middle of my sermon, okay? Because I'll duck. So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask as, as we read your word this morning that you would allow us to see ways that Jesus has removed barriers for us to know and hear the gospel. Allow us to see how Jesus has transformed our lives. And if he hasn't transformed our lives, allow us to see that he is there to receive us as we are with repentant hearts. God, help us to be a church that's for our community and for the people around us so that they can see Jesus through us. God, help us today as we hear from Acts chapter 15 and hear that the early church had a dilemma much like we have every day that we wake up. Help us to see opportunities this week to be for Steuben, for Steuben County. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here to our service. We're excited you're here. The Sunday after Easter, right? Everyone gets pumped up on Easter, and you guys go out to brunch or lunch with family, and then there's the Sunday after Easter. Sunday after Easter is an awesome Sunday. You know why? Because today we're starting a new series. We're starting a new series called Four. What are you for? And you might make a list, a mental list. What are, you, what are you for? What do you want to be known for? If you have our app, then you can click the link at the top of the feed to find our digital bulletin and notes. Today we're going to be in the book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. We'll be in Acts chapter 15. And we are going to look at who we are for. If, the, if you're in the church, sometimes you know what we're against, but... We're going to look at who we are for. A few years ago, this is actually quite a few at this point, there was a very famous TED Talk, and I'm not going to do a TED Talk today, but it was by author and speaker Simon Sinek. His talk and his primary point was, start with why. It actually turned into a book. Why defines the how. Like, how are we going to do something? Well, we have to know why first. And I, I completely believe that. However, starting with why is not the hardest part. The hardest part is to stay with why. You know, as you get older, as you, as you age, but also over time. It's true with any individuals or groups. It's also true about church. Today I want to talk about our why and why we need to stay with why. A friend of mine has said this, and I'm sure you've heard this before. It's, it's the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. Isn't that kind of circular? The main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. It's kind of hard, right? Does anyone not like watch, watching movies twice? Come on, let's, only two of you? I thought I was the only person in here. It's hard to keep the, the, the main thing, keeping the main thing, the main thing. It's hard to do that. It's a tongue twister. Because groups like people have a tendency to drift. You don't want to do things over and over. Part of my responsibility here is to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. To do that... I want to implement something that is one of the most important leadership principles that I've ever been taught. And yet it's one of the hardest ones. It's something that you can apply in whatever area of life you're in, and whatever area of leadership. And when you say, I'm not a leader, everyone is leading someone somewhere. So it's really for everyone. It's great for business, nonprofits, the government, education. The list is really endless. The principle is simple but it's very powerful when implemented. And the principle is this. Leaders are repeaters. You ever hear that leaders are readers? Leaders are repeaters. You repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Simply means that leaders stay on message. They repeat the message. They say it over and over to the point where the leader themselves is like nauseous about how much they have to say it or they're saying it. They stay on the main thing. They keep the main thing the main thing. And that's why it takes a long time for vision and the why to stick. That's what takes a long time. That's why as a parent, you might ask this. How often do I need to say this? Isn't that the tone you use too, right? As a spouse, you might wonder, how often do I need to say this? I'm smiling because... Usually that's, that's my wife telling me that, but 
because I forget something. Or it might mean that as a, as a boss, an employee, a teacher, a friend, you're like, how often do I need to repeat this? I mean, I've said this to you seven times over and you don't understand what's going on. Well, if the message is worth implementing, then it's definitely worth repeating. And that's why leaders are repeaters. Let me give you an example. Anyone a Chick-fil-A customer, fan? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, see, I knew if I said Chick-fil-A, it would be better than if I said you only watch movies once, right? That's, you know, if we're going to take a vote, who likes Chick-fil-A better? Oh, okay. Chick-fil-A has something that they say. When you say thank you to their staff, what do they say? Whoa, 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 a little bit louder? Come on. Okay, they say my pleasure. That's correct. That is exactly what they say. The late founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, launched this idea many years ago, like probably longer than I've been alive. He launched this idea years ago at the company's nationwide convention of all their franchisees and staff. And he was talking with people, and he walks in to Chick-fil-A, and imagine his dismay when they say, you're welcome. And then he walks into another Chick-fil-A, and they say, you're welcome. Rather than get angry about it, Truett decided to do something different. He just started saying it over and over. So when someone said, you're welcome, he said, my pleasure. <laughs> right back to the employee, my pleasure. And it's estimated that my pleasure took five years to implement across the company and for us to know that phrase when we walk into a Chick-fil-A. My point is that it's extremely important to stay with why. His why was, we need to say my pleasure because that's how we're going to treat people. And today I want to talk about our why as a church. So to stay with why, I want to remind, you, remind us that the answer to the question matters. This question right here. What do we want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? And some of us may flip that question, like I, I did when I read this. I, I flipped the question and I go, what am I known for? That's not what the question is. What do we want to be known for? It's not about what we are now. It's about what we want to be known for, which is different. It's a great question for any organization, any church. You know, if you're, if you're in business, this is actually probably a good question to ask your team. It's a great question to ask people in our community. It's a great question to ask different leaders in the community. You know, I met with the mayor this week, and I asked him questions, and this was one of them. I was like, so what do we want to be known for in the city of Angola? What are you working on? What's important? It's also a great question for us individually. And it's definitely a great question for us as a church. What do we want to be known for? So to help answer the question, we, we, it's helpful to get outside perspective in terms of what a church is known for, or a community is known for, or a group is known for. Let's take the church in general. The church in general. So when I say the church in general, I don't mean our church. I mean the church in general. What is it known for? There's lots of answers to that question. <laughs> Don't you think? If, if we had a microphone, a hot microphone, and you talk to every person that you have contact with that doesn't attend church, what would their answer be? Again, we might be generalizing here, but see the following statement, and this one might be a good one to consider when it comes to unchurched people. 
many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. Because when you ask the question, what is the church for, they're going to give you what we're against. It's actually going to flip the coin. It's going to look a little bit different. And if this is true, and I do think it's very true for a lot of people, no wonder so many people don't attend church. Church isn't for them because it's not for them. That sounds like really repetitive, right? But leaders are repeaters, so let's repeat that. So think, church isn't for them because it's not for them. Take this guy, for example. Oh, some of you know him, right? (laughs) So this guy... This guy, church isn't even on the radar screen. He's on his phone. Now, it's, I know it's kind of humorous because some of you know who this is. Church isn't even a selection option for Sunday. And while it's not about church attendance, it is about fulfilling our calling that we've been given as a church. Our role is to, you might say, shrink the gap because, between the guy on the couch there and the church. The question is, how do we do this? And what do we do? We want to create a church that this guy loves to attend. Well, he does, but let's just think about this as some other person, okay? So it's not just about a guy. It's about men and women and couples and children and adults and students, everyone. Well, how do we do this? And we're not the first people that have wondered this. And some of you are wondering, when are we getting to the scripture? Well, we're getting to the scripture. In fact, the early church thought about this as well. They were struggling with this. And there was, there was not the Bible yet. They were struggling with this and trying to figure it out and relying on the Holy Spirit. And we find a debate happening that was pretty deep in Acts chapter 15. There's a debate about it in Acts chapter 15. And the church decided to do something very specific. The early church was being confronted with a division regarding how to treat Gentiles. Unless you're Jewish, you're Gentile. So we're most of us are Gentiles. And so they're talking about us. There's one group saying the Gentiles needed to follow the Jewish law. And without going into too much detail, that was definitely a barrier for some Gentiles coming to Jesus. The Apostle Paul, though, starts debating him. He and Barnabas, which Barnabas means son of encouragement, head to Jerusalem to settle this once and for all. Can you imagine he's just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this. I'm, I'm going back to Jerusalem. This is going to be once and for all. We're going to debate this. We're going to get it over with. On the way to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas, they stopped and told the church along the way, along the road, about these Gentile believers. And in, in, in verse 3 of Acts chapter 15, it says they have great joy. Paul and Barnabas are welcomed in Jerusalem by the other apostles and elders. It was kind of a homecoming for them. It was a place that they felt at home. And then it all got interrupted again by the legalists. Isn't it always fun hanging out with the legalists? So the legalists that, that want the Gentiles to follow these conditions are there. The church leadership starts considering the matter. But I'm going to tell you this, and this is something I have, have seen over and over. It's hard for a legalist to realize they're a legalist. You know, if you're type A, that's not a judgment. It's just there's certain people that are more legalistic, and that's not a type of person. It's a specific kind of idea that is pushed. It's hard for a legalist to realize they're a legalist. But we can't be a people of Jesus, a people of grace, 
and then just go, Jesus, well, you also need to do this. Jesus plus to other people. Jesus plus, grace plus. And it says in verse 5 that some of these believers were former Pharisees, which was the legalist group of Jews. They were a product of their upbringing. Have you ever felt that way? You know, my dad never served in the armed forces, but his dad did. And how I was asked to, like, clean my room and stuff as a kid, I thought my dad was in the military. You know what I'm saying? White glove treatment. Oh, there's dust over here. This, the, I always wondered. And then I realized, like, well, his dad was in the military, so that's probably where it came from. And so there was this, this idea. I was a product of my upbringing. He was a product of his upbringing. So are you a product of your upbringing to think extra things are needed for God's grace? We have good intentions, but we still push our distinctives and our traditions on others, on people. When things are added to the good news of Jesus Christ, it soon pushes out the good news and focuses on the additions. You start realizing that this is what is important rather than Jesus is important. And salvation here, as it's described, we're going to see, it's not conditional on what they were asking them to do. The legalists were. Verse 4 says, when they came to Jerusalem, this is Paul and Barnabas, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders. And I, I talked about that. But then it says, and they declared all that God had done with them. That's with the Gentiles. That's with Paul and Barnabas. It was God that did the work, not Paul, not Barnabas. It's not about what we do. If we do a bunch of things and it's not for God, it doesn't matter. But it says here very clearly that the first truth from this passage is God does the work of salvation. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas. All the things that God did with them, the people, the Gentiles, it's what God did. God does the work of salvation. And Peter knows this. Peter, the apostle Peter, he knows this. So right after that, you have verse 6 and then verse 7, Peter starts speaking. And everyone is listening. You could have heard a pin drop in that room because they're willing to listen to Peter. So what, is, what does Peter say here, starting in verse 7? It says, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither your fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Peter's preaching the good news. There's no difference between anyone in the church. There's no difference. It's through faith that we all come to salvation. Every person comes to the good news the same way through the undeserved kindness of a forgiving God. Simple as that. We didn't, if we didn't jump through hoops, what makes us think others should? What makes us think others should? Jesus takes us where we are. The second truth from the passage is that God sees us all the same. He sees us all the same. Don't forget where you were when you first found Christ. And if you haven't found him that, 
He takes you where you are. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Grace and faith level the playing field and make community possible in ways that were never possible before. Peter speaks and the church listens. Are you, are you listening to those verses? Maybe read them again this week. I read them a few times as I was preparing for this. And there's a lot there that he says. Then James comes up. We've got, we've got like, it's almost like you guys are at a convention here. Acts 15 is like a convention. Peter speaks. Oh, yeah, Peter, awesome. And then next, next is up James, the brother of Jesus. And he's up here, and he's speaking. And what he says starting in verse 13 is so important for us to hear. He breaks down and goes further so that we can fully understand what it means to be included in the family of God. It says here, after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. That's important. I rarely, as I'm preaching, I say, listen. Like, he's, he wants their attention. Listen to me. Simeon has related how God, Simeon is, is Peter's name. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, why is therefore therefore? He's quoting scripture, and now here comes his point. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn from God, but should write them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. From, for from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim him, for it is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. First, James speaks on how God visited the Gentiles, not just the Jews, to make a people, the church, that worship him. James quotes the Old Testament here. It's Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And when he quotes those verses, he is setting the foundation for what he's going to say next. Then the statement that comes next in verse 19 is the statement that gives our guidance about four, being four others coming to Jesus. What we want to be known for as the church of Jesus Christ is, is, is that people are coming to Jesus. Acts 15, 19. I'm, I'm going to read it again. It's so important. Therefore, my judgment, James's judgment, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. You know how many times someone's come in my office and said, Pastor, I'm, I'm doing good, but I, I think I need to get rid of this. And I don't disagree with them. Maybe it's a moral thing or something, but it's like, who, who told you that? Because that's been a barrier for them to fully, fully pursue Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we put barriers up. We shouldn't trouble people coming to Jesus, but we should still speak the truth. And that's what those verses afterwards say. The third truth from the passage is that God removed barriers through Jesus, and so should we. Why would we put up barriers that God has not put up for the salvation? Why, did, why didn't 
Jesus add conditions to us accepting the gospel? Well, he didn't because we shouldn't either. But we fall into a trap. We all want to be righteous. Isn't it really good being right? It feels good, right? You just want to be right. Otherwise, no one would ever argue. There'd be no debates. You just want to be right. So it's easy to fall into that trap. But only Jesus brings righteousness. Because we have grace through faith. We would gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. You notice he made a list of some things that he's asking the Gentiles to abstain from. And the reason is, the reason is, we need to respect other people's consciences. These Gentiles were being fully integrated into the church. And the Jews had specific things that they were still doing. It wasn't that they needed to do that for salvation. And it was actually, if you read the letter later, verses 23 through 29, it's a recommendation, not a command. That's all that James is asking. It's difficult for community to happen if we don't respect each other's consciences. A contemporary example of this might be needing to refrain from alcohol around certain people and it being okay around others. It's like you don't go around someone that might struggle with something and create a stumbling block, something that's going to cause them to stumble. God's grace is risky. It is, but we can abuse it too. We can't reject, we can't reject teaching it or living it. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to trust the Holy Spirit as we speak and to speak to us. So let's go back to the guy on the couch. I know, I'm picking on the guy on the couch. There's a guy on the couch, sitting at home, scrolling through his phone. Maybe he's on the Facebook feed and he pulls up sunlight or something. What we've been called to do is to not make it difficult for that guy on the couch to turn to God. Don't make it difficult. Don't create barriers. But again, how do you do this? How do you create a church that the guy on the couch, the people on the couch, the people at home want to attend? How do you create a church that the people that are shopping at Walmart Sunday mornings want to be here instead? Or shopping at Meijer want to attend? How do we connect with the person who has no interest? Or quite possibly has already said no to church and maybe even Jesus because their experiences with the church. Well, it goes back to the question. What do we want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? And here's our answer. We want to be, be known. The reason we want to be known is we want to be known we're for people because God is for them. We're for Steuben County. We're for our schools. We're for businesses. We're for adults. We're for, for students and children. We're for people. So today we're going to do something that is very different. I'm going to ask you guys to do something with me this next week. And we're going to start a, and launch a movement called For Steuben. In doing so, we want to create three things that the guy on the couch and the people on the couch can identify with. We want to create common ground. Common ground. I realized this week, uh, in a couple of my meetings, I was meeting with people I've never met with before, I know nothing about. Um, you can create common ground pretty easily. Sometimes it's just about the weather, okay? But there's common ground. But you, you come to realize that you create common ground. And then you create conversations. You start conversations, you start getting to know people. 
And then you create connections. But the creating connections is where God is the catalyst. He's the one creating that. All of this was designed with Acts 15, 19 in mind. If we're removing barriers, we're going to create common ground. We're going to create conversations. Instead of focusing, as the world is focused this entire last year, on what's different about us, let's focus on what's the same. Can you do that? Can we do that? Can we focus on how we're alike? Let's take creating common ground. For many people who don't go to church, they believe it's because they have nothing in common with those that go to church. They wonder why church people are a certain way. I don't tell people I'm a pastor until they ask. And then they change how they talk to me. Because they assume church people talk a certain way. As a result of this perception, they believe that we won't share anything. Someone that doesn't go to church, most people that I've talked to, don't see something in common. And that couldn't be further from the truth. How many of you only spend time with people from church? Any hands? Eh, No? Okay, that's what I thought. We work and we live in the same community. We spend time at the same school events. Our kids go to the same schools. We're a part of downtown events where people are at. We serve in our community in the same organizations that everyone else does. We want to create common ground with people. Because we live here too. We want community to be great. And we have that in common. Does anyone want like our community to fail? No. Why would we ever want that? So when we create common ground, we get to tell people things. And I, I would encourage you, it sounds like almost like a cheerleader. But the reality is, you can say these things in our community, and I, people will get excited. You want to be where it is a great place to live? We do too. Guess what? We're in the same. You want to have a great place to raise kids? We do too. Who doesn't want that? You want businesses to thrive in our community, people to have jobs, the economy to go well? We do too. Wow. You know, we want the schools to be great too. We do too. You want the parks to be clean? You want people to be served? Wow, we do too. Look at how much common ground there is. For far too long, the church has had this adversarial relationship with people who don't go to church. Or maybe not that. Maybe it's just non-existent. It's a non-existent relationship with people that don't go to church. And sometimes when we have those relationships, it's because we're related and it's not has nothing to do with being out in the community. So as we create common ground, we want to create conversations. So we want to create conversations. There's 50% of us that are excited about that, right? And then there's the other 50%. You know who you are that are really scared. So we're going to make it easy, okay, for the scared people and for the other people that probably talk too much, okay? We're going to make it really easy. We're launching this four Steuben movement, and there's lots of ways we can do that to create conversations. We want to create opportunities for people to ask you about four Steuben. So, to do that this week, 
You've heard the term pay it backwards. You ever go through a drive-thru and pay for someone behind you, or you go to Five Lakes and you pay for someone behind you, or go to Cleo and you pay for someone behind you? I want to encourage you to do that this week. Go through a drive-thru. If you don't normally go through the drive-thru, try going through the drive-thru. In some places, it's only drive-thru, so works out. On your way out, there's a car magnet that says for Stuben. If you're like me, I tried to test it earlier this week, and I started to realize that half of the back of my car is like plastic or fiberglass, so it doesn't stick. So you got to find the spot on your car that it sticks. But stick a four Stuben magnet on your car. And as you do, that's the one thing, one way that we're going to ask you to consider spreading that message and creating conversation. This week, as you go through a drive-thru, pay for the person or the persons behind you. Just do it once. It's easy. And if you get lucky, it'll be like $3 instead of 40 right? So, you know, I'm just kidding. That's not the intent. We're supposed to be generous. Come on. So as you go to coffee at Five Lakes or Kaleo, go pay for the person's meal or the person behind you. Or maybe, maybe even a, a group that's coming in. Hey, can I pay for a takeout order and just say that someone paid for it? When people see the four Stuben sticker on your car, they're going to be like, what's that all about? What is going on? And then they're going to be informed that you paid for their food or drink. It's not a small thing. You know that's made my day? Every time that I've ever had my meal paid for, I remember it for a very long time. I mean, I'm serious. It is like the coolest thing. It's like, man, is it my birthday? Is it Christmas? I don't know what it is. This is how you create conversations and common ground. You begin to see people tell others, hey, a car with a four Stuben magnet paid for their meal. And then comes the God part, and you're maybe wondering, where am I going with this? I'm trying to make it easy for all of us to create conversations no matter what we do. So, the God part, creating connections. God begins to take the common ground that we have. He begins to see the conversations that have been created, that the Holy Spirit's guiding, and he begins to create connections. God takes moments, conversations, and begins to shrink the gap between people and the church, between the lost people and himself. And I am just asking you today to help us create common ground with people in our community to create conversations, and then the third component and the most important is to pray for connections. Pray for connections. I think that's when God provides those connections and provides salvation for people. So for far too long, the church has been known for what we're against. We should be known what we're for. That's what Acts 15 is all about. They go... And they tell the Gentiles, do these four things so you can be in community with us. But they don't say, hey, you got to do all this other stuff that we did because of the Allah. So I want to close with a question. If our church went out of business, would the community even notice? I know this question has been asked here before, maybe years ago. Maybe a decade ago. When a church is for the community and for people and we deeply desire to introduce the people in our community to our Heavenly Father, the love that he has for us through our Savior Jesus Christ, 
we become a community partner in a very beautiful way. So will you help me? Take a sticker. Oh, sorry, not a sticker. My wife told me no stickers, okay? That's why we have magnets. Magnets are better than stickers, I guess. Will you help me show our community that we're for them because God is for them? It's not a new message. It's really the message of the church since Acts. There's so many things that happen in our world where people don't think we're for them. We're rallying around the word for to communicate it this way. And that is our why. We need to stay with why. Our why is Jesus Christ. If I said everything today and I didn't say this, it wouldn't mean anything. Or why is Jesus Christ? The news of grace and love found in his sacrifice and his new life, that is our why. And that is why we do. This is, this is why we do what we do. It's why we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That is why the church values signify this. Bring, build, send. Bring people to Jesus. That's our first job as the church of Jesus Christ. Build into people like Jesus. That means spend time in community together, pursuing Jesus together, and then send people out to replicate like Jesus. How many of you have been here long enough that you've seen people move to other communities, believers that were at this church and now they're at another church, but they're in another community and they're serving there? We, we get to send people all over the world. Trying universities in town. You know there's people that, that have gone to church here that are all over the world. We get to send people out to replicate like Jesus. Bring, build, send. So this week, I fully expect, instead of getting an after-service email about how my sermon was so long or something about the coffee or something like that, I mean, I'm, I'm joking, I want to ask you a question and I genuinely want feedback. I genuinely want you to think about this. What are some other ways you, we, can show the community you're for them? Come to me with ideas. Come to me with ideas. I, I, I love this idea of being for people because in reality, Jesus Christ died on a cross because he was for us before we even knew he was for us. He loved us while we were still sinners is what scripture says. So what? So what's the big deal? What, why is Acts 15 so important? Did you know after Acts 15 that the church in Jerusalem is, is not really mentioned? The, the mission moves on to the Gentiles. It moves on to us. And, and Paul and Barnabas spend time together and then they split and then Paul goes on another journey. It, they go all over the world. So what? What are you going to do for Steuben this week? The, the church has to decide to see common ground to be able to bless others. We have to decide to do that. We can choose that other people are different than us and separate ourselves from them. Maybe because we've been hurt by people. Maybe because we don't think that we have anything in common. But we have to decide to see the common ground to be able to bless others. How are you going to pay it backward? Does anyone have in their mind which drive through they're going through? You're going to Five Lakes, Kaleo? 
how are you gonna create common ground in conversations this week? I encourage you, take a magnet, stick it on your car, stick it on your laptop, stick it on what, well, I don't know, laptops. Ooh, that's stickers. Anything on your fridge. But do this. Commit to me this one last thing. Pray for God to create connections. Don't try to do it on your own. Go go to the most powerful God of the universe and pray that he would give you connections with others so that you get the privilege of befriending others and that they would come to believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be an extrovert. You just have to spend time with God this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and and we genuinely struggle just just to figure out what to say or what to do. And sometimes we're three steps ahead. God, just help us to to realize that there's common ground between us and others in our community. We have the, the same schools that our kids are in. It's the same community, organizations we're a part of. It's the same businesses that we we own, serve, and live in Steuben County. And so, Lord, we just pray specifically, God, that you would use us. God, that you would create connections so that people would come to know and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior that the community would know we're for them. That we want to see the same things happen. We want to see things redeemed. We want to see families that were broken be built back together and be encouraged. We want to see broken relationships healed. We want to see people love Jesus. We say all this in his name. Amen.